This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, there are many concerns seen by people about how the election process is covered, depending on which side of the political aisle you sit on. But there is another concern being called out, how coverage of female political candidates can turn nasty in many cases by media outlets. The campaign is being led by Time Up uh, now, and it comes at a time when we see Kamala Harris on the Democratic ticket for vice president. Tina Chen is CEO of Time's Up, and she joins us to discuss the initiative. Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you for your time today. No, I'm delighted to be here, and thanks for covering this issue. Thank you. So, and this is something that that you have focused on for quite a while, especially in the in the in the in the means of inequity in general. But in the scope of the upcoming election, what is it that you need to see? That not even what you'd like to see, but what you believe should be occurring. Well, this all started, you know, back just before Kamala Harris was not nominated to be the VP by myself and several other leading, you know, women, Cecile Richards from Supermajority, Elise Hogue from Pro-Choice America, you know, Fatima Gosgrave from National Women's Law Center and others, because, Dan, we've lived this movie before <laughs> when a woman was nominated for high office and she gets criticized for things that have nothing to do with her experience or her qualifications and everything to do with what she wears or what her sexual past was or, um, you know, what her family life is, things that you would never think about with respect to a man running for office. Um, And so we launched We Have Her Back. We sent a memo to news editors and reporters around the country saying, you need to be careful about how you are reporting on this. We're watching you. We're going to call it out when it happens. Um, And I got to tell you, not 24 hours after we sent that memo, we saw headlines about wrist corsages in the New York Times <laughs> and comparing the VP, you know, you know, nomination process to the bachelor in the LA Times. So clearly, <laughs> clearly this is a message well, that newsmakers need to hear. Well, I was going to ask you how well it was received, but I think you just <laughs> laid it laid it out for me right there. Well, actually, you know, that was that that happened right away, but we've been seeing and we've been hearing from reporters and news editors, I'm grateful to say, who have, you know, actually quietly been calling saying, what about this? How would I cover this? How would I talk about this? Which is what we want them to do. You know, this is not about not having people talk. It's about having them speak in context, really, you know, examine, you know, women candidates of both parties, because we're we're tracking it in both parties. This is a nonpartisan effort. And here's the thing, Dan, you know, for your business audience, the reason this is important, not just in the political context, but I believe, you know, this, you know, there's so much conversation. It's pervasive in our culture talking about politics right now and this election. Yeah. And it seeps into every sector. It seeps into how we think about women leaders in business, right, yeah. in yep. big businesses and small businesses. I suspect yeah. it's one of the things that contributes to the fact that right now there is not a single black woman CEO in the Fortune 500. Right. This is it's all about how our culture operates and what are the messages that we are getting and honestly what our kids are getting. Well, and and it would seemingly be something that has kind of filtered over from the the, the general question of inequity between men and women in the workplace. And obviously it's it's now moving even farther into the political realm as more women are, are running for higher office. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's true. You know, more women are running. But, you know, the criticisms against them haven't changed. Look what happened to 
Representative, Ale- you know, Alexandria, you know, Ocasio-Cortez, right, yeah. on the steps of the Capitol building by a fellow congressman, um, you know, and that just happened, you know, a month ago, right? Yeah. I mean, this isn't stuff from the distant past. This is, you know, what's happening, you know, right now in our dialogue in 2020, when you would hope that our views of women lead- as leaders has evolved. And it's sort of evolved, but maybe not so, not all the way. I wonder if you if you believe that part of this and the example you gave uh, with with AOC also, you know, kind of, I think, goes to something that plays out in, in the workplace as well is kind of this generational divide between what the baby boomer generation thought, you know, 20, 30 years ago was, was OK. And now, obviously, is it's a much different scenario. And then you have the millennials coming in as well. And their thought process, obviously, is much different than than the older generations? Well, no, absolutely. I mean, I think this, to their credit, this younger generation, you know, um, has lived their values, you know, and they live their values in their workplace. And so they're demanding workplaces to get better. And I have said to companies, you know, this is also about your consuming public, right? You know, this millennial generation, we know from surveys, pays attention to the values of the companies from whom they buy goods and services. Right. So if you want to be successful as a company, even in a time of pandemic, I will tell you, Dan, you know, and I know it's a time when people are struggling, but it is also a time to double down and think about equity inclusion, you know, as you're responding to the coronavirus. We actually put out a guide from Time's Up, which is open source, and people can get it by texting guide to 30644 for any company of any size to take a look at how do you address and continue to address equity inclusion in a time of crisis. You, you talk about this, obviously, in the scope of Kamala Harris, you know, being on the Democratic ticket. But how much do you also see this occurring in, in some of the down ballot races as well? Oh, absolutely. You completely see it up and down the ballot. And we're watching that. So one of the things we've been doing that we have our back is we have a war room. We are monitoring mainstream media and social media you know, 24 hours a day and putting out a report to this broad coalition of influencers and leading organizations and women leaders across the country every morning so that they, you know, they can see what's the latest thing that's come out and how to call that out. Um, And so, you know, we, we are identifying that across the board. And, you know, social media is pretty important, too, because what we are watching is we're watching for the things that crop up in social media and start to make the move from just some obscure social media post, it starts to grow and metastasize, and it crosses over into mainstream media. So we want to catch those things too. So as you see these these instances pop up, what then is the next step in the process for your organization? Is it a follow-up with that media outlet and say, hey, listen, this is how this was presented. We have obviously an issue with it. Can you think about you know phrasing it differently? Or you know what is that process like right now? Well, we're looking at trends, Dan. So what we're going to okay. do, we're doing individual call-outs, right? You know, something gets posted, we're posting it right back with hashtag yeah. we have her back. Yeah. Um, and emerging folks, you know, when you see hashtag we have her back to sort of echo that and, and keep up the push and the drumbeat. Um, but we are also looking at trends, you know, and we are going to put out memos to, you know, news organizations um, across the board saying, okay, this is a trend we're seeing. This is the context you need to understand it in. Are there specific media outlets that that you have seen that that obviously have been leaning more to doing this than others? Um, 
No, I mean, there's one obvious one I could probably point out that is more political, you know, right. and has really gone after, you know, Senator Harris in right. some pretty sexist and, you know, bordering on vulgar terms. Right. Um, it's, it's obviously the obvious one. <laughs> right. but, yeah. but it's not, yep. you know, here's the thing, Dan, it's kind of pervasive. I mean, it's coming, you know, the woman, the, the article in the L.A. Times about The Bachelor was a woman reporter. I mean, this is this is. This is infer- this is a, an approach that actually we've all internalized as part yeah. of our culture, and we don't even recognize that we're doing it. And that's one of the things we want to call out for newsrooms and reporters. You know, there was a moment after the George Floyd murder where you saw newsrooms and black reporters really reexamining themselves, right, right. on how right. they've been reporting on race relations and racial injustice in this country. And you know, we're at a moment where we need that similar, you know, kind of self-examination in terms of sexism and misogynistic approaches and language and the way people use it. And it's not just sexual language, to be clear. You know, when Kamala Harris is called a phony, it sounds like that's not a sexist term, when in fact it plays into the whole idea in our culture that women shouldn't be in high office. They shouldn't be, you know, sitting in the vice president's chair. That's why she's a phony. Right. Right. And and I guess there you also have to look at what is said in in the context of of the candidate, but also the difference between, you know, making a personal comment about somebody and and then also having a question about their policy. And, And it's obviously two different landscapes. One, I think if you're questioning a candidate about policy issues, then, you know, that's much different than than a lot of what you're talking about. Absolutely. Look, we are not saying don't criticize candidates, right? This is policies you disagree with, experience. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a problem with the way somebody ran a district attorney's office, right, right. or the votes they took, right. you know, on the Senate floor, totally fair game. But when you start to veer into, you know, how she, how she is as a mother or whether she is a mother or not or what she's been wearing or, really, you know, what her family life was in the past, yeah. you know, that's – those are questions that never get, you know, they don't come into the considerations of a man. I mean, the, one one of the things is to stop and think about, would you write this story if this was a man that was running? And right. if you actually wouldn't, then pull back and think twice. Well, and, and I think this becomes even more important as we move forward. Obviously, we have, you know, Kamala Harris running for vice president. You had Hillary Clinton four years ago uh, running for president. But I, I think it's probably not too far off where we may see a, a a presidential election where both candidates are women. Right. Well, we've seen we've seen we've seen some Senate races like that. We've seen yeah. actually some you know you know in in the states I think some statewide offices office races that are like that. Um, which you know I, I it we are fifty percent of the country, right? I mean sure. that yeah. that is what we should see. We've had plenty of solely male contests, right, yeah. Yeah. for our entire, you know, 200-plus-year history. So, you know, it, it, it'll be time for that. But part of the reason we're doing we have back then is that won't happen unless we stop trying to infantilize or or look at women in a, in a, in a box that doesn't include seeing them as women leaders, right? Yeah. And that's the problem with this kind of reporting and language that's used around women candidates is it brings them down – it takes them down so you can't see this as a woman who could be a strong leader for the country, for your company, for your school board. Um, that's why we need to change it. 
And, and to a degree, it's also important for using the example of the newspapers like you did with the L.A. Times. It becomes important for them to address these types of issues, especially considering they're an industry that's struggling already to begin with. And, you know, if you're you know, following this line of reporting, you could be potentially pushing readers away as well. Well, absolutely. To your point about millennial, you know, and they are growing, right? I think they are the largest generation right now. Yeah. You know, that if that's who you're, you know, you need to pay attention to these issues because they, you know, they're the folks who are leading what's going on in the streets. They are the folks who are calling out for change. Yeah. And if your language is stuck in the 50s, <laughs> in yeah. a 50, you know, 1950s view of women and where their place is in our society, you're going to get left behind. Tina, thanks very much for your time. All the best. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Tina Chen, who is the CEO of Time's Up. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.